It's Behind the Bots Time! From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Star Child Captain Brandon Zielinski and teammates Tony D'Ambrosio and Amanda Fowler. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend we really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have three news items for you today. First up, catch live robot combat this weekend in Maryland, Michigan, Tennessee, and Australia. In Maryland, Macro is fighting ant weights and plastic ants at the unallocated space Makerspace in Severn on Saturday. For fans of NHRL, it looks like Jetlag Captain Lars Elliott is registered for this event and will run a fully defined-esque plastic ant weight called Fully Daga. Also keep an eye out for Yumi, the one-pound miniaturized version of Horizon slash Dusk slash Skyline. In Tennessee, Grind City Robot Combat is running a small competition with fairy weights and ant weights in Bartlett this Saturday. In Michigan, Tinker Labs founder Andrew German is running Bot Supremacy 4 this Sunday in New Baltimore. And finally, for our Aussie fans, Death Roll team member Julie Pitts is running Beetle Blockbuster this weekend in Ipswich, Queensland. Check out details on these events and more at robotcombatevents.com. An update now to an ongoing story. Tony Norman, the CEO of Innovation First International, makers of VEX and Hexbugs, has resigned. This after multiple allegations surfaced that IFI has a toxic work culture where sexual harassment was common. According to a copy of a company email obtained by the First Updates Now news outlet, Norman writes, quote, As you may have seen online, there are rumors and allegations surrounding my character and the perceived impacts it may have had on the culture here at IFI. As an engineer, entrepreneur, son, and father, I am so sorry if any of my actions were hurtful. In the email, which we independently verified, Norman says IFI plans to find a new CEO and CFO before the end of the year. IFI did not immediately respond to a request for comment. BattleBots also did not respond to a request for comment. IFI produces the very popular line of BattleBots Hexbug toys. And finally, everyone's favorite neon green BattleBot, Orby Blade, has a new home, the Netherlands. Brother Chuck Yu Huang recently sold his season six version of Blade to a private collector in the Netherlands. This collector has quietly been buying up his favorite BattleBots and now owns copies of Witch Doctor, Valkyrie, Reality, and one half of the Multibot Jaeger. Friend of the pod, Christine Giver, has a really excellent interview out this week with this mysterious robot collector. So go check out the Outside the Box show on YouTube. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Brandon, Tony, and Amanda. This week on the podcast, we have three very special returning guests, Star Child Captain Brandon Zielinski, team member Amanda Fowler, and certified merch god Tony D'Ambrogio. BattleBots fans know Brandon for his zippy race car-inspired lifter bot P1. Brandon is back this season with Star Child, an alien-inspired big-wheeled vertical thwackbot that's a fan favorite at NHRL. 
This is one of the most visually stunning robots we've ever seen, and we know you're going to love it when BattleBots returns to the Discovery Channel early next year. We're looking forward to getting to, into all things Star Child in the hour ahead. So welcome back to the show, Brandon and Tony, and welcome for the first time, Amanda. Hey, how's it going? Hey, guys. Hey. So before we uh, we get into it, how about the three of you take turns round robin style introducing each other and a little bit about you? Yeah, sounds like a plan. So uh, over here uh, to my right in the little uh, in the little uh, window we got up here is Anthony D'Ambrosio. He's the king of merch for our team. A huge part of our team. He joined in 2021 to the P1 team. He's back here for 2022 with Omega Team in general and with uh, Star Child specifically as well. Uh, he's done an absolute uh, just bang up job on the merch this year with some of, in my opinion, the best looking shirts, best looking jackets, uh, it, hats, everything. Been a, a really great, uh, really great job that he's done this year. So uh, welcome, Tony D'Ambrosio. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, and I would like to introduce Amanda Fowler. Uh, amazing fabricator, uh, can pretty much fix and do anything is what we've learned, and a great friend and teammate. Uh, she has also been part of BattleBots for way too long, uh, with multiple robots, uh, with Valkyrie and Brutus, and now obviously with Omega Team. So thank you. Here's Amanda Fowler. Hey there, and uh, I'll introduce Brandon Zolinski. You guys probably know him from P1 in the past, or his many stints at NHRL with Star Child and miscellaneous other robots that he's worked on in the past uh, as the main driver for and captain of P1. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Uh, well, I'm very excited to have all three of you on the show. We're going to jump right into uh, some uh, some questions, but first we have a few from actually us. Uh, and Brandon, our first uh, question is... Um, you know, about earlier versions of Star Child at NHRL. We also had another uh, question from Matt Lantry out there who asked another question in the same vein. How did you practice the timings for the weapon that uh, hits with Star Child? You also seem to have the perfect timing with the delay uh, it takes to ramp up, and it blows me away. Quote from Matt Landry. So there's actually a funny story behind that. So I have a dog named Max. He's this little 11-pound uh, Schnauzer poodle, miniature Schnauzer poodle mix. And one of the toys that he has, I, I can't even remember what it's called, but essentially it's this little ball uh, with a tail and you press a button and there's a little weight in the ball that shakes around and the ball moves around really unpredictably on the floor. And I think it's like called a squirrel ball or something like that. Uh, but that was my training partner for the little star child, for a three pound star child. When I was just learning to drive it for the first time. I would set that up on the floor and the, in the office and i would just drive against it with the robot try to hit it not spin the weapon of course but just try to get the timing down such that i could uh strike it with uh decent accuracy and, and be able to uh kind of chase it down even when it's not going the direction that i would that i would want because obviously it's nice to drive against another robot uh, but that's not really something that you can do all the time so finding a replacement is kind of critical and when you have a robot that's as weird and as unique to drive as star child is it's something that we really, I really needed so it's a, kind of an odd thing but that's that's what i used was your dog sad uh that you basically took his toy away to destroy <laughs> it with robots 
So, so the funny thing is, so, so Max is Max the dog's name. Max is a is a weird guy. He he's afraid of brooms and of vacuum cleaners, Aww. but he loves robots. Aww. So he will as soon as he knows the sound of my transmitter turning on, and he will run into the room and be like, oh, "It's playtime!" Because <laughs> Brandon's getting the robots out. So. That is, I mean, he's he's funny, and it's funny too because we'll have to we have to keep him away from like the the heavyweight because we'd, we'd turn P one on and you come running up to it and be like, no, Max, that weighs twenty five times what you weigh. You need to not not go over there. So he's he's a scream. So uh, sometimes we'll just we'll just kind of like hold him back and let him watch, and he'll he'll get all excited and try to play with the robot too. It's like, no, Max, you can't play with the robots. <laughs> That's adorable. Our dogs are afraid of literally everything, except the UPS guy. They would pretty much rip his throat out if they ever had the chance. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I got a series of good questions from BattleBot superfan Alexander Archer. Alex's first question is, how exactly is Star Child different than Huge? Uh, It's very different. So this is something that we're going to get a lot over the course of the season, I'm sure. But the main difference between the two robots is the way they drive. And if you watch the robots in smaller weight classes, you'll see that very quickly. But Star Child is much more of a uh, kind of aggressive uh, attacking robot. Huge. Their main goal is to just kind of get their weapon onto their opponent. And they work a lot more like other high kinetic energy robots in that they got to get the weapon spun up all the way, make sure they're pointing in the right direction. And if they connect, they can absolutely destroy somebody. Yeah. Our robot doesn't really work the same way. We have to we have to go and make our ro- our weapon connect with our opponent. So, we have to drive very aggressively. We have to get up in our opponent's face and be able to strike down with that weapon on the top of the opponent uh because it it strikes with this massive like very exaggerated overhead strike that is really unique to Star Child and really really unique to this kind of family of robots. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. You know, I had the chance to see Starchild up close uh, there in Vegas, and and it is true that it's all about timing with Starchild. It seems like that is something that would require a lot of hours of practice. You know, getting that timing right, especially with the scale up from some of the lighter weight versions that we've seen, um, because I'm sure the thwack is larger, the thwack is slower. Like, you know. W- what 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 did you do to like prepare for that um you know that kind of macro evolution of that the the size disparity between the, the the ones that you've run in the past? Yeah, so we identified this as something that would be an issue from the very start, right? It's very clear as you size these things up, the inertia of the body is going to get larger and it's going to become harder to swing the body over. And the extension from that is we need really good traction. And at NHRL we can. We were actually one of the very first robots to use cleats. Uh, one of, if not the first, I think we're like it was us and Link showed up at the same event with them, and maybe somebody else beat us to it. But we were right, we were right up there at the beginning, and they worked wonders for us. Cleats made it made the robot drive so much better. But BattleBots, BattleBots doesn't have a wooden floor; it has a steel floor, so cleats aren't going to work. So this is something we identified from a very early on time because if you can't put the torque to the ground you're going to have an awful time uh spinning the like whacking down onto other robots because your wheels are just going to spin and you're not going to get any traction 
So I want to kick it to Amanda because this is something that we focused heavily on and she was like king of this issue and trying to fix it on the 250. So Amanda, you want to chat a little bit about the wheels? Absolutely. Um, the wheels have been the bane of my existence and the thing that I've worked on probably the most this season. Um, but we decided, uh, you know, in the past, Huge has tried to resolve some of their traction issues with the bike tires bolted on, but oftentimes they come off and we really couldn't risk that. So we, uh, we basically started from the ground up using Huge slightly as an inspiration because, you know, if something looks, if all the cars look like cars, there's a reason that they look that way. Um, so we used them as a starting point and tried to evolve on that. Um, we actually, uh, Jonathan and I and uh, Ricky from Mammoth sourced our Tigris together, um, which was a lot of days of constant communication trying to uh, get our hands on the specialized plastic. Um, in the past, uh, Huge has used like UHMW for the wheels, but it's a lot heavier of a material. The Tigris is comparable in how it performs, but is about 20% lighter. So it's a highly engineered composite plastic material, basically. Uh, so we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do we put rubber on these? How do we make sure we have traction on the floor? Can we use magnets? What are magnets? How do they work? Like a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, we settled on this rubber design where it actually pockets into the wheels themselves and then we hold it together with a astronomical number of rivets in the wheels. Um, they've held up pretty good in uh, all of our tests. So there's uh, some footage that's been floating around on our page of some uh, some drive tests and things like that. So you can see it like zip around and we got a lot of traction on the ground. I know when Brandon started driving with them at first, he was kind of shocked at how grippy they were on the asphalt outside of the shop. It's pretty cool. Um, it was really awesome, you know, looking up, up close at these, uh, these, really unique uh wheels you said that they're made out of tegris right and you uh you you guys partnered with with ricky ricky had mentioned that um for the upcoming season of BattleBots, that you pretty much had to like buy all the tegris that was available in the united states we did we did ricky jonathan and i yeah ricky jonathan and i bought all of the tegris in the world actually uh <laughs> And then they were like, well, this stuff's really expensive. You know that you, you really want that? And they're like, yeah, actually, and we kind of need more. Like, this isn't really enough. Uh, so we kind of freaked out the manufacturers. We did spend, uh, we had like a kind of uh, a big alert that went out on our, our team Discord. And I remember for a couple of days, I was calling body armor manufacturers. I'm probably on a watch list somewhere for it. Uh, <laughs> calling, you name it, anybody that might have had that material trying to get it in bulk. So... Yeah, I mean, it was very difficult to get in such a short time frame. So Amanda and partnering up with everybody else really came in clutch, and they came out amazing. I mean, the wheels were fantastic. Yeah, we were about one day away, two days away from making our own composites, and I remember floating it in our group chat, and Brandon's like, oh, God, no, why? And <laughs> <laughs> uh, But thankfully, uh, Ricky and Jonathan and I found a supplier. And we didn't have to make Omegris. 
as we were going to call it. <laughs> Omegris. What would you have done differently than Tegris for Omegris? Uh, we would have had it. Uh, it would have existed. And I think that would have been the biggest thing. Um, I think the initial supplier we went with, which is uh, the one that Huge and Mammoth have used in the past, quoted us like a 12-week lead time to even have it like made. So, and that's with none of the machining or anything done. So I was like, all right, well, BattleBots is in 10 weeks. Right. And uh, that's not going to work. <laughs> I hear that. So another question I have here from Alexander Archer. Is P1 officially retired from competing at BattleBots, or is there still a chance that we'll see it back? Uh, it could come back. The kind of consensus of our team, so we had a, we had a big meeting. When we formed a mega team, we, we had a big meeting on what we were going to do going forward. And bringing back P1 in in a couple of different forms was floated and it was something that had a lot of support. I think a lot of people believe in the design, me included. And we have some ideas of how to make it absolutely wacky, crazy, and cool. But this was kind of what we wanted to go with for this year. We had limited resources and two rookie robots on one team was a pretty daunting, pretty daunting endeavor on its own. So this is what we end up with this year. But uh, in the future, we'll see. Maybe it'll come back. But I think it's going to heavily depend on what the future of BattleBots looks like as far as the arena and the rule set and all that kind of stuff. I mean, P1 was was spotted at the event, so you can't rule anything <laughs> out, technically. Yeah. I don't know how accurate that is because you, ke- you technically can't spot P1. It's too fast. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. So I, I appreciate the, the, you know, the foresight there, Brandon, because Alexander's last question is, how hard was it for Omega Team to run two robots? Uh, I mean, really hard. And it was just a full effort by everybody involved. We needed a an absolutely Herculean effort. And the it was not uh, not made any better by the fact that I got sick. I got COVID the week before BattleBots. And so the setup days, I wasn't able to be on set. So the rest of the team stepped up in an enormous way to get the robot ready so that by the time our fight started and I was able to be back on set, uh, I, uh, the robot was basically ready. So it was, it was an unreal effort by everybody. And part of the tough part about building rookie robots is that you don't know how expensive stuff's going to be. You don't know what the lead time for stuff's going to be because you've never built that kind of robot before. So there was a lot of parts like that between Ripperoni and us that, we're like, well, is it going to take three weeks to get Tegris, or is it going to get take ten weeks to get Tegris? We don't quite know. Are these UHMW drive pods going to work on on Ripperoni? We don't really know. Is this a lot of this just unknowns that after the first year, it's it's all good because you know generally what stuff costs and how long it takes. But that's the kind of stuff that makes building rookie robots hard, and that we were no no uh, exception to that this year. We were a little ambitious this year, to say the least. <laughs> so uh, You really can't stress enough how crazy it was to do two brand new rookie robots, but everybody on both teams was a huge uh, asset, and you can just see like how much talent there is in everybody that's involved in this and how much everybody cared to actually make it actually happen. 
Yeah, and it's it's really impressive to see the diversity of the two types of rookie bots that you guys brought to BattleBots for the season. So Starchild and Ripperoni, um, they both had incredible theming and visual design, which I I really do think, and we all feel here at the podcast that viewers are going to absolutely fall in love with. Uh, like uh, Starchild looks like it was literally literally birthed out of some kind of alien pod, and Ripperoni looks like a necromancer somehow. Uh, resurrected the birth child of a pizza box and a trigonometry book right and so mary Catherine carr has a question about how it all came together mary asks i would love to learn more about how the aesthetic and theme came to be where the idea came from and how it evolved into this beautifully fleshed out implementation go ahead and answer that for both bots because i really do think that they both are deserving of uh a full explanation of what on earth you guys were thinking. Yeah. Explain yourself. Explain yourself. <laughs> Why? Yeah. So as far as our robot, so Starchild, uh, the original thought for Starchild and the original kind of naming theme was that the end of the arm on the beetle weight looked like a guitar. And I talked to my girlfriend. I was like, you should name this robot for me. And she was like, it looks like a uh, like eighties rock guitar. You should name it something like eighties rock theme. Uh, and we floated a couple of different things. And Starchild is what we sat on, which is uh, Paul Stanley's character in Kiss, right? And so that was that was the start of Starchild. That's why Starchild has like a vaguely rock theme. The Beetleweight does, and then when we were talking about moving it up to larger weight classes, uh, I didn't want to wear a leotard on stage. So that wasn't going to fly. So we had to kind of think of something else. And the idea that we came up with was, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the star child skull, uh, but, and people can, can Google it if they would, if they would like and look at, look up, look it up uh, more, but it is a, uh, it's a, this this skull that was unearthed that uh, it's like a malformed human skull. And now we kind of think that it was due to like a birth defect. But when it went public, all the conspiracy theories went wild that it was an alien and all this other stuff that had landed on Earth and, and died on Earth and all this crazy stuff. So we we're like, all right, we can make a really cool like alien tie in to this. And that was the left turn into the alien side. And when we did the 250, this is what we leaned into heavily. And I mean, I, I Tony, I, and anyone could talk to you for talk your ear off for the next two hours about the, the theming that we went into. But what we wanted to do is we looked at a lot of the applications that have gone into BattleBots over the years. And typically, the application, the renders look better than real life. They they do all kinds of like crazy lighting or something to make it look crazy, and then it gets there and it's like, oh, okay, it's 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 this robot. Okay, we wanted to make something that looked even cooler in person than it did in the renders, and I really think that Starchild succeeds in that uh, tremendously. And I was when I saw like because I wasn't super involved in the in the building of the shells, like the alien head shells. When I saw them for the first time, I was blown away at how unbelievably good they looked. And that, like Amanda said, 
speaks to the just unfathomable artistic talent of a lot of people on this team that they can put together such a beautiful thing and then be completely okay with us putting it in an arena and destroying it for three minutes. So that is that is kind of kind of the the rip side of or the star child side of Omega team. Uh, the rip side, they I know it was built off of Anna's thirty pounder, which is rip, which was also named Ripperoni and is now Lil Rip, and that went through a lot of iterations because initially there was a kind of a pushback that it was too generic or too this or that. And we all worked pretty hard to try and make Ripperoni as utterly unique as we possibly could. And part of that was leaning so far into the pizza robot thing that it was just absolutely hilarious and that everybody would love it. And so they went all the way. And I think, I think doing a theme like that is hard because if you go a little bit, people can tell that it is you're not putting your full effort into it. But if you go all the way and you really throw your shoulder into it, people just absolutely love it. So it's kind of weird because there's two robots and they share absolutely nothing in common as far as the theming, but they both are utterly committed to the theme. Tony, you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, obviously we have some amazing engineers and designers on this team, um, that, that create these beautiful machines. Right. And they give people like me and Lara and Audrey and everybody else that's doing aesthetics, uh, primarily, um, a great canvas to work with and the ability to be very creative. Um, I think that some teams kind of miss, miss the mark in the fact that we're a TV show, right? And it's, it's visual. Um, it's not radio, it's TV. So if you show up and you're memorable, um, that speaks volumes, you know, and it, that may, regardless of your performance, uh, you know, in the actual box, it, it, it may be your ticket uh, back if you're a fan favorite, right? Um, and sometimes you just get a bad draw and that's just how it is um, when you're fighting. But, you know, w- with certain robots, it's interesting because the initial feedback we got on Ripperoni uh, when we pitched it, uh, and I don't want to say specifically how high up it went in, in BattleBots or somewhere else, but they they really were not a fan of it at, at the first pitch. Um, and you know, Norwalk was a, a a big help in bringing kind of the idea there and and the, and the uh, aesthetic there uh, with you know with that. And it was such great feedback there that it was really easy to package it after the fact. But um, you know, we we went real hardcore uh, on renders. Uh, we went through a couple of different iterations. Uh, and 2D composition on the shell, what it may look like. We use a lot of elements uh, from the Aliens franchise and other sci-fi type stuff. Um, there's little design elements like Brandon put in that people probably don't even realize. Uh, one of the main structural points of the entire uh, Star Child chassis is basically an energy sword from from Halo. Um, if you look at it, you can you can see it's it's pretty obvious. Um, so things like that, they're little Easter eggs, uh, are, are great. Um, but you know, we, I watched aliens for probably a week straight, every single one of them to kind of get ideas for costuming and designs and logos, uh, patches, you name it. I mean, we really went as crazy as possible. Even down to our poker chips are like this really cool, clear smoke acrylic and you kind of see through it and we manufactured all our own stuff. So, um, we looking at our team, you'll immediately know that's aliens, you know, even down to the, you know, the engine hoist that we basically made like a power loader to bring the thing out to the ring. Uh, it, it's really 
it's an experience for the fans. You know, they, they're going to look at it and go, this is really cool. And we think that and the pizza, you know, really hit on a, on a pop culture level where everybody can identify and go, that's neat because they get it. Um, and I think once it got in front of a live crowd and, you know, even the people in the pit saw it, they just said, man, that is really, really cool. Um, and things we could change on the fly, you know, even with Ripperoni, the pizza box itself, it kind of changed and evolved as we went through the competition. We could add ingredients and things like that to it. So, but it really does come down to the people on the team as well. Everybody really embraced it. They jumped into kind of character and they kind of, they're pizza. <laughs> they're all in, you know, we did the alien thing. We were all in. Um, so I really think that it really comes down more to the team too, uh, and embracing the whole idea and the concept and just rolling with it. Cause, uh, I think that's really made it a hit. So it was wonderful to have pure artists on the team. And uh, we had so many sketches that came from Tony, from uh, Lara, Audrey, and Bobby, and everyone uh, that we just told them like what was possible to make and what was not possible to make. And then we could go through and make it in our engineering software in Fusion 360 and then um, bounce it back and forth. So we didn't have to do the art last minute, which is why all of the aesthetics for both robots came out so, so wonderfully. And, and I want to definitely give Amanda credit where it's due because Amanda really is the one that the shells for Star Child came out so amazing. She, she worked super hard um, with, with the 2D comps and you know, some of the 3D stuff we worked on to develop these awesome shells. And uh, basically it just came as blank, you know, clear shells that we had to paint from the inside out. Um, with, you know, we used really unique color shifting paints and took into account there's going to be LEDs behind it. So... Those shells, I mean, you guys saw them up close and personal. They're very beautiful in person. They can kind of shift color. I don't know if it will come across on TV, but um, Amanda was a crucial part in, in making the robot look as good as it did. Um, so I definitely wanted to get credit where it's due. It, it really was, uh, I know it was a pain, uh, but it really was worth it. It looked amazing. Uh, so, Tony, a shameless plug time. Is there a place where people out there, after I'm sure they're going to fall in love uh, with these two teams, can go and acquire some of this uh, sweet, sweet merch. I, I heard about this place from around the way. Um, it's called RobotsRuinMyLife.com. I hear they may have... RobotsRuinMyLife.com? Think... What's RobotsRuinMyLife.com, it's Tony? Just, it's, it's a little merch store in some corner of the internet where you can buy uh, some really amazing and high-quality goods, uh, such as shirts for Star Child and Ripperoni. And that's... <laughs> just... I can't. I can't stop repeating it. Was it? What, what, what was the name of that again, Tony? Uh, I, I believe it was robotsruinedmylife.com. Robotsruinedmylife.com. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. I got a thought-provoking questions here from Martin Zietz, who wants to know what, in your mind, are the advantages and disadvantages of Star Child's weapon system compared to the big bar, like huge. So the. The void that we really think it fills is countering the kind of small vertical spinner meta. Uh, and huge just as well, too, but it's a it's a still kind of reliance on high KE in order to just knock somebody out of the box. What we want to do is be able to deliver the high the heaviest top attack hits that is possible at BattleBots. And this is pretty much the most optimized way of doing it, as far as we can we can tell. So swinging the entire inertia of the robot around and blasting it down on somebody, spinning 
the biggest top attack weapon that we can fit is is pretty hits pretty hard so that's kind of the difference and and that's what we try to do is is instead of kind of going to robots front go to their top and cut all the stuff off the top of their robot all right i have a couple of questions here from michael weiss uh who wants to know a little bit more details about the weapon how damaging could your weapon be to another robot compared to the damage of other robots uh like on a scale of p1 uh to cobalt and no respect no disrespect to p1 it's just the lesser side damage wise yeah so it it can do it can do a lot of damage we were cutting through in the in testing we were using a aluminum hub truck wheel that had three quarter inch aluminum plate as its hub and i was cutting through that cleanly and putting a probably three to four inch gash in it of full penetration through so it can absolutely swing through a lot and we're trying to be more of a saw blaze than a cobalt in that it's kind of precision strikes that you're putting onto the top of your, your opponent. And I think we can be right up there in the damage category with, with saw blaze and the other really, really hard hitting top attacks. Nice. Uh, I'm going to take over for Chris now with uh, some more questions um, from, and this one's from Copperhead Captain Luke Quintal. Hey, I know him. Uh, he has a question about locomotion. Some big wheeled robots use bike tires bolted onto their plastic wheels for traction. How does Star Child get traction with the floor? Amanda, I know you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but uh, how does Star Child get that traction? Yeah, so we use uh, some big chunks of rubber that actually just get bolted or riveted straight through the, uh, the wheels themselves. We do like a two piece wheel instead of a one piece. Um, if you see Huge's Taker's wheels are also a two-piece kind of kind of deal, but ours are set up a little bit differently. So we actually like compress the rubber inside of the Tegris uh, so that it's really hard to actually pull out. Um, and it does a great job of just like conforming to the ground after you drive it around for a little bit and warm it up. That's incredible. Um, I mean, that's just like so innovative and i also can't get over that you bought out the entire earth's supply of tigers <laughs> i love it i don't think the supplier can get over it either they were stunned <laughs> did did you tell them what you were using it for did they think it was cool yeah i think jonathan actually had the contact from before when he started making um i think he initially tried it out in some tiny huge wheels Ah. Uh, this material so he had this contact from a long time ago and it was like a it was a moonshot to see if we would actually get it from there uh, so i don't think they were like super shocked about the application just about the sheer quantity <laughs> that we wanted <laughs> i love it um all right so uh from our discord writerly angle wants to know i heard the rumors and teases around nhrl of the name star god which seemed like the natural progression after Star Child and Star Father. Was there any reason the heavyweight uh, is named after uh, the Beetleweight? Uh, this goes back to the the thing I was talking about earlier with the the Star Child skull inspiration, which I really think if you're if you're someone who watches BattleBots but doesn't watch NHRL, which is probably the majority of people who watch BattleBots. <laughs> 
then, or just generally kind of more casual fans, it's something that, that maybe they can under like Google and figure out quicker. Whereas the, the whole Star God thing, while funny, I am wearing a Star God shirt right now, is a very kind of specific inside joke to those who get it, right? Those who have seen Star Child and Star Father and other events will get it, but other people might, I mean, they might understand just based on, oh, it's a star or space, right? But they don't, they might not understand the the whole reference of the other robots. So we figured start going back to Star Child to kind of tie back in with that, uh, with that Star Child skull initial inspiration would be more approachable for casual fans. It definitely added more to the back, or it added more to the backstory, I guess, to what we were trying to achieve. I think I made maybe four shirts as a goof, and like one for myself, like Brandon. I maybe gave one to somebody else, and I think put one out in the out in the merch store at NHRL for an event, and people saw it and it raised eyebrows, which was like kind of what we were going for a little bit. Uh, but it made way more sense in the end when we kind of sat down and, and tried to figure out the roadmap. Uh, but some of the original renders and some of the sketches that I did did have like the working title with Star God is what originally we were like playing around with until we finalized on a name. So, so I was just going to make the joke of, you know, we're definitely not the type of people to have a weird inside joke be something incredibly public on television. <laughs> <laughs> How could like, that ever happen? I can't imagine. It couldn't <laughs> that be sounds us. like something only a would do. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> we'll get into that later. <laughs> um, all right. So his next question is, uh, and I know you, you also kind of touched on this earlier, but how are those aesthetic pieces that give the heavyweight version this alien look made? Um, was this some kind of vacuum forming or plastic molding or was it printed? That's all Amanda. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a, yeah. Um, it's a, it's a vacuum formed piece. It's, the other vein of my my uh, existence. It's so weird. I'm usually a metal fabricator, and this year all I did was plastic. Um, so uh, the way that we made the shells, we actually, like, I took the 2D drawings and 3D concepts that our art team made, and I kind of transposed it into Fusion 360 to make it 3D, and I sent it back to them so that they could, like, tell me what looked dumb and what didn't, and I'd be like, well, I can't change it that way because then I can't release it from the mold. So it was a real give and take of, like, art versus engineering uh, and working within the practical limits of our reality. Um, we actually, it's, it's kind of funny, we spent a long time getting the mold made. We lost some access to some machines, so... Uh, Sarah and I wound up carving it by hand, approximating it with uh, the CAD that I did, and uh, fiberglassing it to make a mold. And then I called up David Jin from Ribot, uh, because he owes me some favors from me welding parts of Ribot in the past. And I was like, hey, can I use your vacuum former? And he was like, absolutely. And then, uh, I don't know, like two weeks later, I messaged them back and I'm like, okay, we're ready. Can we use it now? And they're like, uh, it caught on fire. No! So <laughs> we had to go through and uh, figure out some alternate plans for, I know, it was crazy. I was like, it what? And, you know, vacuum formers kind of just catch on fire. That's kind of a thing. They're not usually made very well. Uh, it's really easy to catch a vacuum former on fire. But this one was like legitimately on fire. It was a bad fire. Uh so we found out 
we have a friend who is helping with our team that actually has access to a real legitimate vacuum former. And we got them done uh, not before realizing that the plastic they sold us was incorrect. So we had a whole bunch of hurdles that came up in the way. But they are vacuum formed, clear plastic, just similar to Ribot. Um, and uh, we just, I would just hand the clear shells to the artist and be like, I don't know, make it pretty. And then it would come back and be gorgeous. And I have no idea what they did. Wow. I feel like I, you know, it makes sense now hearing all, all of this, this journey basically to like getting the bot visually where you got it to. Like, I understand why rookie teams or even non-rookie teams just go with like the straight up metal, like maybe we'll paint it. Maybe we'll put some vinyl wrap on it. Let's call it a day. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. We, we had so many points in this process where I was just like sitting there, like looking at Sarah and I'm like, should we just quit? Should we just not do this? Like, maybe this is a dumb idea. What if it looks stupid? Like, I don't know. Um, and I think it came out great. I think it was worth it. And I think we have learned a lot for when we try to do this in the future. And because uh, vacuum form is a pretty easy process as long as everything is correct. And we had a lot of incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if it's not on fire, that helps too. Right, right. It was too much fire. <laughs> well, I am, um, you know, as an, as an, a viewer, um, I can definitely attest that everything you did was so worth it. It's, it looked amazing. It looked like an art piece. Um, and I think it, I think it will look really incredible on television. Um, so just being able to know the process behind it all, like gives me that much more appreciation for it. Cause it was freaking fantastic. I, I think it's, it needs to be said too, that, that Lara, <clears throat> Lara Tang, who uh, came along with the team and did primarily paint um, is very ex extremely talented artist. And it was amazing how much time she spent on a show. I think Brandon said this earlier. She would spend hours, you know, perfecting this. And she had to do it from basically backwards, right? Because it's clear you're painting the inside. So you have to do everything in layers, but do it from the top down. Um, so when we would get shells, they would just be so beautiful. And sometimes they would get obliterated in, you know, seconds. Uh, and it's just, but she knew, you know, it was really just for the, the march up and visually getting it on TV. But once you get in there and everything goes green, it's time to go. And, uh, you know, it, it uh, but I think it paid off. And I think, you know, her efforts were incredible to make the shells look as good as they did, honestly. Yeah. I mean, what a true team effort. And uh, also just shout out to, I forget what you call it, but the thing that uh, Star Child comes out on, you know, rather than it being wheeled out in a cart like every other robot we've ever seen, it like comes out hanging and it's so uh, cool. Yeah, the Omega yeah. Loader. The Stunningly Omega loader. very good. Like it's not just for show. We had to lift the robot exactly zero, well, maybe like once or twice, but we had to lift the robot like very little this year because you just run the weapon up and hang it by the weapon and you don't have it goes from the ground the wheels are wide enough that it fits around the the legs of the hoist it is really stunningly effective and we initially because because i mean the crates are tight and we're like ah do we really want to bring this this hoist do we want to do this it's funny it'll look cool but like do we really want to bother with it and we did and it worked not only aesthetically, but worked 
practically better than we could have ever hoped. Amazing. Yeah, it was so much better than the actual cart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A thousand, a thousand times better. It's funny because in some of the original renders, you know, we did some bot things like how we wanted the bot to aesthetically look and then some of the costuming. And just as an afterthought, I kind of put like, hey, an engine hoist would be kind of cool. We could dress it up a little bit and make it look like this. And I spent an afternoon just like painting it and, and making all the graphics on site, you know, on a cricket and, and things like that. And by the end of the day, we were able to kind of like hoist this thing up. It looks like we captured an alien and people were walking by our pit. And taking pictures of it like they caught a big fish <laughs> or something, right? It ended up being like a huge photo op in the pits. Um, but it definitely visually looks amazing, I think, coming through the tunnel and turning it for the crowd. I mean, it, it's, it really was worth the effort, in my opinion. I think it looked great. The lesson I'm learning, what I'm hearing uh, from this conversation, my, my big takeaway, is that if you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is this really, you know, worth the extra effort? <laughs> like, the answer is yes. Because... Uh, Man, everything paid off. But the problem is, is that you ask yourself that question and it's it's 12, it's like one fifty-seven in the morning and you have work the next day. <laughs> and that's what makes it hard. Is, is it worth it? And you're like, I have to be up in five hours. <laughs> and so that's what makes it hard. And that's what makes it so like makes me so proud of everybody who has like put poured their heart and soul into these robots over the last God, what? Not even all that long. What, three, four months? I mean, the build timeline this year was insane. But just the the absolute dedication to committing to the bit by everybody was just incredible. Love it. All right, so Mario Cast has two good questions. Um, the first is, which BattleBot seems to pose a challenge to Star Child? And if you don't want to get specific with, like, names of bots... Maybe just like what type of bot or, I don't know, answer however you see fit. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I don't, I, I'd rather not fight Ripperoni, uh, which is, which <laughs> yeah, is pretty yeah. clear. Uh, <laughs> probably the biggest, the biggest big vert left, I think, with Deep Six now not, now being Triton, I think Rip is the biggest or, or biggest vert. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I believe they are. and. I mean, I'd rather not fight fight them, and also because uh, it would be not fun to fight your friends, right? I mean, you travel all this distance and then fight your friends. Like, why? But uh, big vertical spinners would rather not fight, and then like enormous vert or enormous horizontal spinners would probably rather not fight. Those are the things that uh, kind of scare you because big horizontals can dice up the wheels, big verts can hit the chassis. And you really don't want to fight those kind of robots, but hopefully we won't. Yeah, time will tell. Uh, his second question is, is the larger Star Child version as quick as the smaller version? So the 250 is actually pretty comparable to the Beetle in quickness. Uh, it's better than the 30. The 30, the tough thing with a 30 is that it's funded by my pocket. So I have to kind of cut costs in order to make it reasonable. And there's some things that it's like, I'll have a problem with the robot. It, like I'll have some failure and then I'll just look at it like, well, the solution to this problem is money. It's a CNC machined like chassis piece or something like that. And it's just tough that like, ah, it's a, a lot of money to put into these robots. But the... 250 
uh, doesn't have a lot of that. I mean, we've we've really like gone all out into making the the 250 as 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 great as it can be, and as such, it's uh it it drives really really well, and it's it's just as quick. Uh, we've we've put a lot of focus into the weight balance, making sure that the weight is evenly distributed across the robot, and we can we can thwack really quickly, and. So yeah, it's uh, it, it drives really well, and especially in the the metal box. I was really concerned that once we put it in the box, it would uh, drive really poorly. But uh, the the rubber system that Amanda and Spocky designed was really incredible and and got us great traction. So it's it's nice and quick, and and really for a first shot at this robot was about as good as I could have expected for it. It's it's really great. It's it's a very surprise like it's almost scary fast the first time I saw it because obviously we test drive it up in uh, up in New Hampshire uh, at the shop uh, and it can get across that parking lot very quick and it's very big it doesn't seem like it should be as fast as it actually is uh, but the amazing thing is and this is a credit again to Amanda and Spocky um, those wheels the the rubber holds up so good I mean I think we probably had 30, 40 minutes on those wheels. And there was virtually no wear on the rubber. On asphalt, mind you, we were driving it. And then we put it into the box and it drove phenomenal. I mean, very durable drive system in terms of those wheels. I mean, just a stellar job of fabricating those wheels. That's crazy. Um, okay, so we have a, a series of random questions now from uh, fans tuning in. Uh, and this one is from Discord user Cutlass206, who has a bit of a cheeky question. Uh <laughs> How much waterproof sealant was used while building Star Child? Hardy hard. A deep cut for the for if you know you know. If you know you know. <laughs> but no, well you know, the the whole waterproof sealant gag was uh was pretty great. And uh hopefully we'll see more of that in the future. We'll see. Uh my fingers and toes are crossed because that was one of the most glorious things I'd ever seen in my whole life. So uh, please return. Um, all right. So Ryan Hunter, who runs Harvester at NHRL, has a fun question. Who is the best team from any sci-fi franchise to fight a ship full of Star Child aliens? Mm, that's a tough one. I mean, are we talking about like people or this is a hard question? <laughs> There's a lot to choose from. I think it could be people. It could be uh, other entities. Uh, I think you can uh, you can go crazy. I mean, you got to go with predators, right? That's probably the <laughs> counter to the alien. So I'm gonna go with predators. That's gonna be. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a pretty good answer. I mean, there there this might be a do- aliens and predators. This might be this might be documented in, in pop culture. I don't know. I think that's a I think that's a pretty good answer though. <laughs> I saw a documentary. Yeah, alien versus predator. Right? Na- National Geographic <laughs> documentary: Alien versus Predator. <laughs> <laughs> uh ryan also has a bot related question writing if hydra used the bike rack tactic against star child would it work uh n- no the the bike rack wouldn't work in star child the because star child hits outside of the radius of the wheels so we could just do the star child thing and thwack and hit the bike rack and it would explode uh, but he, I don't think Hydra would run the bike rack. I think Hydra would run the vert against us. So that is significantly scarier in that it can probably hit the body of the robot, which I would rather not get hit. So that is uh, 
probably probably not going to happen. I guess I guess we'll see if it, if it if it happens in the future. But uh, I don't think that would be something that would be a strategy that they would employ against us. I I would also say with the with the blocks of, of rubber in the wheels giving a little bit of a grip, there's a, a good chance that we probably would be able to drive over something like that, maybe. Um, whereas Huge wouldn't, because their wheels were just smooth, I believe, when they fought them. So this, I'm just tossing that out there, too. That may be something that would happen. Awesome. Um, it would be pretty cool to see that bike rack explode, but uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. <laughs> um, all right, so Kraken Captain Matt Spurk wants to know, is Starchild a mammal, insect, fish, amphibian, bird, crustacean, or some other? I think I think we know the answer to that, but uh Yes. Yeah, yes, all of the above. <laughs> all uh, of the above. Can you classify alien species? <laughs> I think if you could, I think yes. he looks the most like an insect or a crustacean. Ooh. But that would be kind of my that would be my my elementary classification because I, I do not have yeah. I do have enough information on these alien species to know how they would fit into our our limited <laughs> earth earthling knowledge. Amazing. Yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, the artists have some uh, some real good detailed information on it of uh, species that I cannot remember the name of, but the uh, the artwork does look almost exactly like a real prehistoric creature that existed on this world, which name I cannot remember at all. <laughs> Ooh. I'll have to go back in uh, my uh, books. There, there, there were a lot of, a lot of little, like she said, there were a lot of little design elements where we were trying to get shape and the eyes alone took us so long to figure out how we wanted to make it look like arachnid or things like that. So we, we took a lot of design elements and, and inspiration from different prehistoric animals and like, you know, eyes from, I mean, we probably spent, you know, three, four days on the eyes just to figure out shape and how many and like, yeah, it's just crazy. <laughs> so that's fantastic. Um, so kind of related, um, Kraken team member, Steven Spurk wants to know. So he, uh, mentions that he also loves the theme and the story of star child. So let's take this one step further. Are there any plans to release a star child novel, comic book or feature length film? I was gonna say. I mean, aren't the aren't the episodes two and a half hours long now? That's that's feature movie length, right? <laughs> Need our whole our whole episode to ourselves. No, I mean doing doing a uh, like artist illustrations or comic book kind of thing would be really cool. And actually, on that note, there's some stuff that we're gonna have coming out on the illustration and cartoon side this year that is actually gonna be pretty funny. So. Uh, if there's anything to take from this as far as like nuggets for the future, there's going to be some pretty cool stuff coming out on that front. So so keep an eye out for that for sure. My interest has been piqued. Uh, I uh, await that eagerly. All right. So Fallout Builder Matt Lantry has a good hypothetical. Uh, who would win in this hypothetical five-way rumble? Star Child, Huge, Mammoth, Triton, or Deep Six? Rest in peace. Uh, can I go sit on the stage and 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 sit there and watch the chaos unfold? <laughs> <laughs> just pull a pull a funny and just yeah. drive up on the uh, on the shelf and wait for everybody else yeah. to fight. Or we just start everybody on the shelf. <laughs> will they all even fit in the box? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will make a bold prediction. I I think that uh, 
I think that Triton would just sweep the leg, Johnny, and I think that that would probably take out most <laughs> of the people in the arena. Uh, but I don't know. Everybody, that's like a ba- everybody has a balance for everybody, like a counter in there. So I don't know. Whoever successfully gets off the first hit or two, I suppose, can go either way. Yeah, I mean, it's really it's really tough to say, right? Because it's like nobody wants to get hit by Triton. Nobody wants to get hit by Deep Six. But if you get a hit in on the top of Triton you're probably going to win the fight, right? But if he sweeps the if he sweeps the wheels out first, you're in deep deep trouble. So, it's one of those ones where I think you could say it's roll the dice and see how it goes. It would be it would probably just end up looking like you throwing all of your a bunch of fruits and vegetables into a blender and hitting puree. Uh, and whoever comes out with the most pieces still attached to their robot would win the fight. <laughs> I, I think I think anybody with eyeballs would be the winner because that would just be visually an amazing match to watch. I love it. All right, so we have a related hypothetical. Uh, first, I would like to comment, you know, for all of those bots, pretty much, the horizontal is like the the scissors to your paper. So, yeah, I think that it would probably end up being a Triton situation. But for this hypothetical, we're going to go big wheels only. We're going to see what you guys think. Who would win in a star child versus huge versus Gabriel going old school? It'd be a pretty fun fight, right? I mean, you can't. Yeah. It's one of those things that you can't look at any other fight in the past and say, this is similar to this other fight, right? It would be completely unique. Uh, I think we'd have a really good shot. I think huge would have a really good shot. Um, I think Gabriel would have a tough time just because spinning weapons are so strong in the current day and age. But I mean, they're really tough, tough built robot. They're a really strong robot. So it wouldn't be a good robot that wouldn't go down without, without swinging pun intended. What, what if we gave Gabriel a steel chair and just made it fair? (laughs) (laughs) I love this plan. That makes perfect sense. I agree. So this is a this is a good question because we all know how the matchmakers at BattleBots like to matchmake. Um, so assuming they put you up against huge, this is a question from Northeastern University Combat Robotics team member Alex Pick, uh, who recently ran Zane at NHRL. He has a good good question here. Um, so a lot of people have been asking for a Star Child versus Huge match going into BattleBots. What would be your plan against a possible huge match? As far as that goes, uh, I mean, it's really not the kind of robot we'd want to fight because, I mean, I totally understand the fans being like, big wheel robots fight each other, right? But both huge and us are designed to beat meta robots. We're not designed to beat us. Right. So it's not a fight that I think either of us would prefer. Uh, but neither of you guys want your main body getting hit and both of you guys could hit each other's main bodies. That's yeah. not good. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Good I mean, it, totally. And it's it's the kind of thing where I think I think the way that we would go about it is, I mean, we go spin up the weapon, go right at the center of it. Excuse me. We're going to have to take a take a hit to deliver a hit yep and i don't think there's really much of an option you're gonna have to go in and swing at the swing at the center of the robot and if you see pulley hit pulley if you see the weapon pulley and 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 cut belts or 
mar it in such a way that it won't spin anymore, you're in really good shape. But if you take a hit that cuts your robot in half, you're not in really good shape. So it's a situation where uh, you think you just gotta. There's not really many options. There's no point circling them. They don't have a. They don't have a a a, a side like. You, what am I gonna do? Hit the wheels, right? Yeah, that's not gonna do anything. So the same thing goes for them. So I think you you go right at them. So this this brings up a very interesting question that I now have, Brendan. I've called a lot of Star Child fights at this point uh, in the three pound weight class, and. One of the things that's so impressive about you driving that robot, especially early in the competition when like things are dialed in, everything's working, you haven't taken any damage, you know, like that thing is downright surgical. Like you can get some crazy accurate hits with that bot. And it seems like there's a lot of like flailing and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But the next thing you know, the battery's gone, the pulley's gone. Like you've hit all the essential parts of your opponent and you like rip those parts out. Um, is driving the heavyweight, can you be as precise? Because now you've driven both, right, obviously. Can you be as precise with that heavyweight as you are with that three-pounder? Yeah, I, I really think so. Uh, the, the 250 drives really well. Like I said before, the 30 drives rough at times Yeah. Uh, due to some some decisions that we made to, to cut costs and just it does just doesn't drive quite as well, which which is unfortunate. But the 250 drives really really well, uh, so you're gonna ha- we're gonna I really think we can we can do the same kind of surgical strikes that we do with the three pounder. Uh, the tough thing is is that everybody else at BattleBots is so insanely good. Like at Norwalk, you can there's sometimes where people just aren't really prepared to fight a top attack, right? Yep. They're just not ready. And sometimes they'll put some kind of like additional top armor on, but it's not quite adequate. At BattleBots, everyone is prepared to fight everybody. Especially this year, this is going to be the most competitive field of BattleBots we've ever seen. There's nobody who's not ready to go. Yeah. So that's something that's really challenging. But I really do think that this is one of the best driving examples of this design that we've made. And we can be have the chance to be really effective with it. It's you're absolutely right. I mean, we've interviewed a bunch of the rookies, you know, already at this point. And even like the rookiest of rookies in this season would have a fair chance against any bot season one, season two, season three of battle bots. Like they, they just know what they're getting into. Um, all right. So this is a question from Steven Dufort, who wants to know which kiss song would be Star Child's entrance music. And Secondary question, and I'm going to go ahead and throw this one over to... Actually, you know what? Anybody can handle this one. Are there any plans for a demon minibot? My personal favorite, I think Detroit Rock City would be an excellent entrance song. I concur. That's, I mean, that's that's just the easy answer. Of course, of course. Uh, But I'm not familiar with the demon... The... the, the, This... uh, Maybe maybe we could uh, make this a thing in the future. I don't know. Oh, okay. So Kiss, at one point, there was a professional wrestler who was like from the Kiss universe and the Kiss storyline who was called The Demon. So I believe that is what this person is referring to. Oh, there you go. Okay, this seems yeah. right up your alley, Tony. Is this uh, something you're more familiar I, I am, with? I'm vaguely familiar with it, yes. 
But I don't know. It, like, what? I don't know what a mini bot would really achieve for our heavyweight. Uh, I'd rather just put the weight into the bot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> more armor, more weapon. Yep. Fair, fair, fair. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, I, the the big wheeled robots. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to throw the mini bot in there. Um, all right. So we got a question from Shatter Team member Eric Wrigley. Uh, he has an alien related question. Has Starchild ever stormed Area Fifty One? Well, I mean, when it drives, it throws the body back behind it. So it's got the Naruto run down, right? So I feel like this is this is something that we're prepared for. <laughs> but uh, that was one thing that we wanted to do when we, we we didn't actually get a chance to in Vegas was drive the robot out in the desert. Just like take because our, our Airbnb was like just <laughs> like basically you walked out the back door and could just walk into the desert. One thing we want to do is just drive it around the desert for a while. Didn't get the chance to maybe next year. Oh but my gosh! We have to smuggle smuggle an alien out of BattleBots tent like ET, right? Trying to get it out into the desert. <laughs> I love this. That sounds so great. All oh, that alkaline sand getting inside your bot sounds great. Hey, uh, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> All right. So we have a simple question from Copperhead Captain Luke Quintal. This is directly related to, I believe, how we announce your team. At an HRL, I haven't called a lot of fights for you guys. One of the things we like to say is, Omega, it's not a cult. Oh, absolutely not. But the question from Luke Quintal, and this is a very important one, because quite frankly, I've never confirmed this. I just use that as your tagline. Um, Is Team Omega, in fact, a cult? (laughs) Under no circumstances. (laughs) We We are an organization that promotes love and happiness in robots. We are also not a frat. Omega team is not a cult. We're also not a frat. Not a frat either. Not a frat. <laughs> not, a frat. not a frat. Not a cult. Just, just, a, just an organization that's uh, pr- promoting robots and love and happiness. An and organization that operates in the shadows. <laughs> that's who we are. Totally not a cult. Nothing suspicious. Move on. I, I gotta say, like it seems like, and especially at NHRL events, Team Omega is having the most fun. We definitely are. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's this. There is, yeah. When we formed <laughs> when we formed our team, uh, Amanda, do you want to talk about the 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 rules of the team a bit? Uh, yeah, rule one of Omega Team. We had a very long discussion about this actually, and uh, like on a semi serious note, when uh, when uh, teams team members left their original teams, and we decided to form Omega Team. Um, we had a meeting where we were like, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, so rule one is have fun. And rule two is to not yell at each other, yeah. uh, which we mostly mostly did a good job at this year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you mostly had fun and you mostly didn't yell at each other. That's great. <laughs> the yelling at PAs doesn't count. But anyways, <laughs> let's keep going. Yeah. Oh, they don't get paid enough to get yelled at. Be nice. <laughs> We, uh, yeah, we had a, we had a, a long discussion about it and like, we, we really wanted to make sure that the biggest thing that we got out of BattleBots this year was wanting to come back and wanting to stay friends because, uh, at the end of the day, we're a group of friends that likes working on unique and interesting projects and we like working together and we would like to still be friends afterwards, uh, which is a hard thing to do when you form a team out of friends. Yeah. It's. It's hard. You can have a lot of very different personalities or different work styles, 
So we've done a lot of work to kind of overcome a lot of that because we came from three very differently run teams. Like I've welded things for P1 in the past and I've worked with Brandon and Sarah and Tony a lot uh, the last couple of years at BattleBots, but I've never worked with any of the the guys from Uppercut really. Um, except for the one that I literally worked with at my job, but it's different. So, uh, and you know, uh, the Valkyrie, my Valkyrie teammates were mostly on Ripperoni. So, uh, we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, learning experiences working in a, a group with people with different mindsets. And I think all things considered, we did a pretty good job at it and we're still like hanging out. People went ice skating last week. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh like it's kinda like the idea of like the the bands that are like super groups, you know, like the the top members of different bands. It it's a cool idea. It usually lasts like uh one album because they end up having so many creative differences. It's a hard thing to like mash together. And it seems like you guys have really like figured out a groove that works for you, and that's really cool to see. Um all right, so Mina Raza has a good question. Do you have any sponsors? Can you tell us about them now? Oh yeah, there you go. Look at a look at that lead in. Nice. I love yeah, I love I love that person. Thanks. <laughs> we get the plug. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the the two robots are kind of have different sponsor lists and have different title sponsors, but uh Star Child is headline sponsored by uh, uh, Pickle Robot, which is a warehouse warehouse robot company, and Leaf Labs, which is a company that one of our teammates uh, works for, uh, Sarah Paretsky, who is who is probably one of the the is is one of the the longest uh, tenor members of the team. She was on the 2020 team. She's on 2021, and now back in 2022. And they do uh, a whole bunch of like embedded systems, and they're very appreciated this year. They have done like incredible work for us, and we're hoping that uh, they enjoy the the season of BattleBots. As far as Ripperoni, their title sponsor is Hudson Speedway, who is coincidentally minutes from the shop at which we build our robot and the experience of that it's a it's a i believe a quarter mile racetrack and they do all kinds of different racing series and they have had an like it was really really cool to kind of partner with a local a local company and they have they were just unbelievably uh, uh, their hospitality to us this year was great. They they welcomed us to their facility, and we were able to test a robot in their parking lot. All that kind of stuff. It's been it's been really tremendous. So being able to plug our sponsors is always uh, appreciated. Uh, yeah, we love giving people an opportunity uh, to to plug their sponsors and talk up their sponsors and talk about how their sponsors help them out. Um, all right, so we have some deeply philosophical questions from horizon team member and battlebot super fan mary Catherine carr um so the first one she asks is you've already answered it many times she wants to know you know all about your aesthetic and how you came up with it but we've covered that 
this one is, I think, a little bit more interesting. I've heard Omega rented a mansion for filming. How was it to live like rock stars for a couple of weeks? You know, minus the grueling filming schedule. And um, I also want to add to that because I you, you said your your mansion was on the edge of the desert. So uh, what was it like, you know, driving out past Barstow when uh, the ether and the acid all kicked in and you were just, you know, driving through a blur of insanity trying to get to your mansion after BattleBots every day? Yeah, I mean, fear and loathing is just a is just a documentary, right? Of of our uh, of our uh, experience this year in, in Vegas, right? <laughs> but uh, it was really cool. I mean, the the our 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 uh, Airbnb this year was was tremendous. We were very happy with the situation that we had. The one thing that I, I would say, especially with this year, better than any other year, is that the uh, BattleBots has really stepped up their supportive teams, and whether it be stipends for passing safety or getting to fights, or in this case, your travel stipend, it has been really, really good this year. And we were able to uh, pool our resources as two teams and get one living accommodation for both teams, and it worked out really well. So, I mean, the uh the it was just it was it was ludicrous kind of pulling in at the beginning it was the our our place backed up to the to the mountains and you could see the whole city in front of us it was pretty crazy so that kind of stuff was 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 really really cool and it was nice to to have space right when you're together with your team for two weeks you want to kind of go back and be able to relax and sometimes it's tough in a hotel room we did it in prior years we would have a hotel room and you have or more people in a hotel room it's, Oof, it's yeah. tough and it's, it's tough to unwind but when you have a little bit more space it's a little bit easier to unwind and it makes the whole the whole uh the whole experience easier and it's more rule one we we it's more fun so yeah it was it was nice it was nice to be able to get up have a proper kitchen we could make breakfast every morning have a nice cup of coffee we would all sit out on the front it was like this really cool front porch deck and you could literally have the entire skyline of Vegas in front of you. You could see everything because we're way up in the in the hills. So we would all just sit out there in the morning for an hour, half hour, and just drink our coffee and just talk about, you know, whatever before we even got started in the day. And it was just, you know, you weren't waking up in a hotel room and like groggy and trying to figure out what to do, you know? Like it was definitely way better to do it this way. I highly recommend it to everyone <laughs> if you can. Uh, I gotta say though, getting getting a mansion on the edge of the desert just for your team doesn't help with that whole "is it a cult?" question. I'm I'm just saying. Perceptions, we, you know, we're try, nine we're tenths of reality. We're trying not to call it the we're trying not to call it the Omega <laughs> Compound because that's really kind of what it was. But. Oh, I love that. All right. So Mary, Mary Catherine Carr's next question is: Is Mister? I don't understand this question, so please explain it to me and our listeners. Is Mr. Bones okay? Did he get enough candy slash bot parts slash cigs to sustain himself? Is it true that Starchild used Mr. Bones as its mouthpiece? So Mr. Bones is a Home Depot skeleton that we bought before the event and became an <laughs> impromptu mascot for all of our shenanigans during the event. And has 
we made it our mission to every day pose Mr. Bones in a more and more ridiculous situation as the event went on. So one day he was an OSHA violation and he was hanging from our, our tent and our pits with safety glasses on, <laughs> like he had fallen off of a stepladder. There's sometimes where he's like poking his head out from behind something else. And uh, at one point on Halloween, we set him up with like a, a cause we, we were not set that day. And we, we, we left him with a, uh, a little trick or treat bag that said, uh, we will like trick or treat. Mr. Bones would like candy and robot parts and stuff like that. So, uh, he was a, he was a fun part of our season. And I think you'll see him on, on TV every once in a while. And, and those of you who listen to listen to this podcast, we'll, 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 we'll be able to, we'll be part of the inside joke on that. I love that. That's great. All right, and then uh, this is my favorite question for Mary Catherine Carr. It ties everything together. It just ties such a perfect bow. What is Star Child's favorite toppings on a pizza? Well, I mean, since it's an alien, I think it would probably be like humans on a pizza. But uh, as far as if we want to take it a different <laughs> direction, I think we're uh, we're a very pro pineapple team which is an extremely hot take and I'm sure we'll get debated in the comments, <laughs> but that is, that is, uh, that is what I would think. What do you guys think? I'm also going to, I'm going to add beans to that very bean friendly team too. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Amanda, your thoughts. Mm, I, I think I'd have to agree with Brandon. It would be, uh, Definitely humans or some uh, local flora, fauna for its environment. I'm sure that they have pizza on Star Child's home planet. <laughs> um, but their toppings are probably a little bit weirder. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for talking with us. Brandon, Amanda, Tony. We're looking forward to seeing Star Child this coming season on BattleBots. We're looking forward to seeing you guys at NHRL. Uh, we absolutely adore Team Omega and all of the work that you've put into the aesthetics and the story behind your bots. Um, you guys are amazing. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you, guys. A blast as always. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for robots around the world. This week, we're headed to San Francisco, where a robot delivery startup called Starship is out with a shocking new statistic. Roughly one out of five people who see a Starship robot react negatively to it. In a new article this week, the company estimates that its fleet of robots have now driven past 15 million people since first hitting the streets seven years ago. They say roughly 80% of those interactions were positive, but sadly, the remaining 20% of interactions were negative in some way, with people either intentionally blocking the robot, calling it names, or kicking it. I almost would like to see video of this. Do you think they have any video of, of someone trying to hurl insults at this poor little starship robot? Oh, certainly. 
Yeah. Uh, they, they were saying that starships, uh, the individual robots, they have something like 15 or 20 sensors on every single one of these and uh, video around the entire thing. Because, you know, it has to autonomously drive itself down the sidewalk. So, uh, yeah, all uh, now these, I suppose, millions of negative reactions are stored on some massive multi-terabyte drive somewhere in San Francisco. I think I have a really good idea for them. Um, and maybe this is something that they could try. And this isn't even a joke. What if the robot, as it's kind of going down the street, could analyze like the number of people around it or whatever, and uh, it pays compliments to people? Aw. Right? Like, it's just like, hey, hello there. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Please let me deliver this, uh, I don't know, this crab rangoon. No, you know what? If my Alexa like sensed me coming into the room, it was like, "Hey, Lindsay, I hope you have a really great day today." I would hate it even more. Well, that's Alexa. Everybody hates yeah, Alexa. Maybe that's just Alexa. right. But but imagine this, Lindsay. You're walking down the street, right? You're having a nice day, and then all of a sudden, this robot who's walking by you just goes, "Hey, Lindsay, I really like that shirt." I'd be like, "How do you know my name, robot on the street?" Oh yeah, valid point. <laughs> Facial recognition software. I mean, obviously, but yeah, um, I, I don't think that would be bad if they were just like saying, wow, I really like your shoes to people who walk by and stuff like that. I think that'd be all right. I bet you that you could drop that to one in six. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm just going to suggest a flamethrower on the front of these things, you know, horizontal spinner. What if it, they just had, like, a, a, a platter of Oreos on the top of them? So you could just be, ooh, an Oreo. Thank you. All right, that could work. It dispenses an Oreo. <gasps> if it's getting blocked, it, like, it'll actually try to barter its safe passage, and it'll eject the <laughs> chips ahoy. <laughs> I like that your currency for bartering is obviously cookies. That makes sense. Well, what else do you use? <laughs> could hurl quarters at people i guess <laughs> let's be honest though like if you saw this robot coming at you wouldn't you be like a little tempted to just kind of like block it like you you know you're in the game of basketball you're just gonna try and like you know block it from taking a shot and then letting it pass i don't know if i could give in not give in to that temptation yeah and who's to say that this is actually malicious these people could just be playing a, a classic game of kick the robot <laughs> oh, classic. <laughs> uh, well, that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole for doing such a great job editing our show. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. And we Thank you, Nicole. And we will be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. 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 Bye.